Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Chris Lance. Chris is a senior director at UNA, a group purchasing organization which provides the home for the Sourcing Hero podcast. Chris is now officially my most regular guest, and he joins me once a month so that we can talk about current events as well as what these events mean to procurement and sourcing professionals. So hi, Chris. Thank you so much for being back. Hey, Kelly. Happy to be here. How are you today? I am doing great. As we record, it's a Friday. I don't know about Kansas City, but the sun is shining in Boston, so we are set up for a great conversation. Awesome. Let's do it. Now, you and I are both news junkies, as people will know if they've listened to some of our other conversations, (laughs) and we have one topic we're going to focus on today. But before we do that, There is so much going on. I would just love to know at a really high level, what stories are on your radar that you're watching? Oof. Uh, Well, there's quite a a few. I think the obvious one I think that everybody's just keeping an eye on would be uh, what's going on at Mar-a-Lago or in Florida. I think, as you said earlier, that everybody's kind of experiencing the weather. But what I've been following is the intense heat and how that's yielding some droughts kind of globally. Um, monkeypox comes to mind. I think that's, you know, sometimes it hits the new headlines and then sometimes it doesn't. Uh, one of the more recent ones I thought was interesting. Um, I don't know if this will catch fire or not, but, uh, there's a security fence being placed at how do I say, a specific house in Delaware <laughs> that's being funded, uh, with taxpayer dollars. But I, I will say this, the one that's the most interesting to me is the theme of quiet quitting. Uh, and why that's happening and what that actually means for businesses. I I think that's very intriguing, kind of, as we still somehow are trying to return back to whatever normal is now. So that's, it's really interesting that you mentioned the quiet quitting, because I read an article about that the other day. And for people who didn't happen to catch that go by, so I would have called that sandbagging. So it's like, technically, you're doing a job, but you're not mentally, physically, emotionally showing up to really mm-hmm. achieve what the the role intends. So that's an interesting one, Chris. We might have to yeah. pick that up in a future episode. We, we might need to. But we know there's none of that going on at UNA for sure. No, you got it. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, nope. Now, the one topic we're going to focus on today, um, and, and this will be an interesting conversation because it's been in the news quite a bit, is the combination of what is and what is not in the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which earlier this week we all saw get signed into law. Uh, probably the, the biggest thing about it, and I'll, I'll pull in this case some information from the Penn Wharton Budget Model. They're a nonpartisan organization. And they've basically said that the act's effect on inflation will be, I'll give you a quote, statistically indistinguishable 
from zero. Mm. Uh, now, if we look slightly longer term, there is potentially some future impact on inflation down the road, but down the road in this case means 2027, 2031. And even then, it's probably going to be offset by the $300 billion in deficit spending. And that combines in inflation reduction, the Chips and Science Act, the infrastructure bill, the military burn pits bill. Mm -hmm. um, and in effect, this act kind of starts by raising taxes on corporations. And I'll, I'll use my podcast air quotes, wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, so Chris, as we get started, the thing I would love to know, and I'm assuming it's not you, who's in charge of naming these things? Ooh, so, <laughs> so that's a that's a great question. Let me let me take a look at my do not say list here as we <laughs> as we dive into this topic. But that's a that's a really good question because it it really makes you think, doesn't doesn't it? You know, I mean, like one <clears throat> excuse me one one thing I noticed similar to this is. You know, I think um, build back better, right, I think has been kind of the mantra um, that we've been hearing for, for quite a while. But what I've noticed is that that's actually not just exclusive to the United States. So it's like, where where is the naming convention coming from? But what I think is I think it was specifically named this way because I, I think it might have caused much more of an uproar you know, calling it what it is. I think if it were named a bit more transparently, just my opinion here, I think it would be the Build Back Better 2.0 Act, right? And I only say that uh, based off it seems very similar to the original bill that I think it scared everybody, right? But I, I noticed that they took out a lot of the, the social provisions or the social items that would allow this to go through, without necessarily having to deal with, or maybe I'll say a better way to say it is circumnavigating, right? Or circumventing the filibuster. But, you know, as you kind of touched on, we're going to be looking at, you know, what's in this, what's not. Because um, I, I really think it's more about taxes per se. And so I don't know who's naming it, uh, but when I, when I find out, I'll let you know. Okay. Well, and I think it's so funny. You and I had joked before we started recording. I do believe this is officially the first time in all of my years that someone has admitted to joining me for a podcast with a do not say list. <laughs> and so just to acknowledge for everybody up front, you and I, the full intent is to go through this objectively from the perspective of understanding how it affects businesses, some of the economic principles that underpin what we're going to be talking about, and then maybe looking at an example of something that's in it. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start with you know, we've all been watching inflation and that affects us as individual consumers, as well as the corporations that we work for. Mm -hmm. And the big concern is response to inflation is officially at some point going to put us into a declared recession. But there's a connection between inflation spend, I'm sorry, inflation and deficit spending. Mm -hmm. So give us a really quick rundown as to how one of those potentially contributes to the other? Yeah, so another great question. We'll probably have quite a few of those today. But I, I um, so deficits, right? Those, they are funded through government borrowing. Um, however, I would argue they're not necessarily inflationary on their own. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't argue, I wouldn't dare argue that I'm an economist, but I, I would say that the state of an economy certainly needs to be taken into consideration because it can very, very well have those ramifications. Um, 
And so I, like for me, part of what's, I don't want to say concerning, right? But what's going on with this is there's a lot of warning signs literally everywhere right now. And it seems though that rather than kind of acknowledging some of those warning signs, we're, we're introducing this bill. And so when we're currently in, do I want to call it an economic train wreck? Uh, mm, I don't know, right? But it's not necessarily healthy. I'll say that. Yeah, I don't. I think everybody would agree statement. it's not healthy. Um, and so when you start with deficits and inflation, I think there is going to be a very real, real impact um, between those two things, given the current state of where we are, not just in the United States, but I would argue on a global scale. So. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because you're not in DC and I'm not in DC. And yet, you know, relatively frequently, we might look up on the TV screen. And truthfully, whether it's a president or a governor, it seems like these days somebody's always sitting at a desk surrounded by people, signing something and then handing out pens. Mm -hmm. And it would be simple to look at those scenes and allow them to all blur together and then sort of turn away and go back to our lives and our work. But what we see happening in this type of legislation does affect us. Mm -hmm. So again, without going into all of the details, how do these bills affect both companies as well as, and you're right, it is global, but in this case, we'll stay closer to our own frame of reference. How do these bills also affect individual Americans? Yeah. So for me, I, uh, substantially is what is what I'll say. Um, it's, it's almost as if there's not really much regard for kind of what we've what we've been dealing with. And as you and I have discussed in the past, Kelly, you know, it's sometimes, you know, whether it's the minimum 15% on corporations, like you and I have discussed, right? Um, big businesses, especially in food, they sometimes need to pass these price increases through. So mm -hmm. to contain a minimum 15% tax on corporations could be very damaging when we're already kind of dealing with some pretty heavy inflation. Um, that that also takes me to the point that to me was the largest like glaring thing in the bill. And I'm sure everyone by now has you know heard some some part of it, but the billions of dollars that are in here allocated to hiring, I think it's like eighty seven thousand IRS workers. Yes. Now that that alone was interesting, and I don't again I think I've said this in the past like yep, tinfoil hat time right, but <laughs> something that would just really piqued my interest is I I found the job posting for it. And what was, I don't want to say concerning, but what jumped out as to me is they're expected to be armed. And so to me, if you're looking at the amount of you know firearms and ammunition that the Internal Revenue Service has been purchasing on top of hiring 87,000 workers, it's like, wow, you know, because even the Pentagon, I think themselves, right, have less than 30,000 employees. I think the FBI has less than 40. So to me, the impact to individual Americans, it's less about, at least if I'm reading between the lines here, it's less about just the wealthy. And this is this is actually a volume play from, a, from an auditing standpoint, in, in my opinion. And I read recently that I think Syracuse University, they did a study that recently said that the poorest families in America are actually audited five times more than anyone else. So yeah, we're certainly talking about an impact to individuals, um, but I think that's all by way of the impact to a lot of these businesses uh, and corporations. So. You know, the other thing that's interesting in particular about that that 
change in in what all of these new IRS agents are going to be up to. And this mm-hmm. is something that I learned a little bit about earlier this year when I was so focused on supplier diversity, which in some cases includes small businesses, mm-hmm. is that when we talk about small, I think each of us has sort of a rough notion of what a small business is. Mm-hmm. And depending on your context, you might be thinking about your local landscaper. You might be thinking about your favorite pizzeria up the street. Truthfully, from my own perspective, I would potentially think about art of procurement as as being a small business. But the definition for small business actually gets up into the millions of dollars of revenue per year. So when you talk about small businesses being impacted, that, that whole idea of small is not necessarily what would immediately come to mind for most people, which sort of brings us back to this idea of naming conventions and what words mean and and all of that. So uh, as you said at the outset, there are so many things that we're watching and boy, is this an interesting time with a lot to think about. Oh, absolutely. Like for example, the thing that the thing that really also struck me about with the IRS provision is I, again, I just started wondering, I went down a few, you know, bunny trails, but it reminded me of that executive order that was passed way back in March around digital assets. And I was thinking, man, with everything going on around Bitcoin and a central bank digital currency, like is is there something there, right? So maybe maybe I'm reaching, but I definitely think I agree with you, and I think there's definitely there's more to this than I think initially meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Now we've talked about what's not in the act and what it probably shouldn't be named. Let's mm-hmm. attempt for a second. Well, we did talk about the IRS, so that that's something that's actually in the act. So we did find something there. The other thing that's in it is some climate-related legislation, and one of the things are a new qualified tax incentive around buying electric vehicles. So the idea is to incentivize more Americans to switch from traditional gas cars over to electric vehicles. Right. And yet even that you know, you always have to look at the details, may not actually be something that the act is able to affect because the rule requires that these cars have to contain batteries made in North America and the materials in the batteries also have to be recycled in North America as well. And we know there's some nasty stuff involved in making and and recycling uh, these batteries. And currently there's a huge question about whether any vehicles actually qualify. So would you say this is potentially a provision of the bill that doesn't necessarily have a benefit? So that's that's how I see it. Because um, to your point, I, I saw one of the requirements is that you know none of the electric vehicles can have any of the components or I think it was actually any raw materials mm-hmm. uh, you know, from China. And so I was like, well, <laughs> that's, that's oddly specific. <laughs> you know? and, and so who, who would really benefit from that? And I came up with maybe two obvious names, uh, which I won't say, but do some research and it's out there. But when you take into account, you know, that China has maybe over 70, I think it's closer to 80% of the global lithium ion manufacturing capacity. And that's not even taking into account that they lead in mining and refining. I don't really see how many can participate, you know, in, in something like this, or at least would make it significantly more limited on who's going to see that true value from the provision. 
Yeah. And it it is interesting too, because we've been through so much and you can almost sort of game play this out going forward. You know, we just saw the Chips and Science Act get signed, which puts $280 billion into U.S. capabilities around semiconductor manufacturing and talent and, and facilities and sort of that whole ecosystem. It makes me wonder, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, whether you think federal subsidization of U.S.-based battery manufacturing could potentially be next. Yeah, and I, my answer would be yes. I, I think so. Um, I think this is much more about money, sustainability for governments, and less about um, maybe the climate as, as a whole. I think it'll end up being similar to the CHIPS Act. Uh, I believe that – I think a good part of this, or the framework at least of this, is to maybe help keep money or advanced tech out of China – uh, and maybe maybe more back with the United States, or at least or at least separate the markets a little bit more more cleanly. Um, so I guess to your point, though, Kelly, I guess what's funny, but maybe not really funny about all this, though, is as we're seeing when we discuss this, is there's not a whole lot that's truly about inflation itself. Now there may be some value, whether it be through climate, whether it be to the economy, or maybe a roundabout way for individuals. Um, I, I'm thinking in long, long-winded way of saying yes, I do think so, but I don't think this has much to actually do with reducing inflation. So, now the the last question is is actually sort of a, a broader approach to some of the points that we've made today. You know, we've talked about the fact that we have whether it's legislation or let's be fair, right? There are corporate initiatives, there are marketing messages that we're being exposed to that are very deliberately crafted to make us feel a certain way, to make us take a certain action. And so there's always this need for us to stop and learn a little bit more and think before we respond or or take a step, especially when it's prompted. But we're all so busy how are ordinary people trying to live ordinary lives and do the best they can supposed to stay on top of all of these events and changes and the implications that they have, especially when you layer on top of it, the fact that nothing is named what it really is? Well, I mean, it, take, it takes, it's a whole nother gear when you talk about like your motivation or why you would want to even explore these things. I mean, Kelly, you and I, we're in this industry, I would argue, probably more than most. Um, and it, it's tough for us, or at least I'll speak for myself, it's tough for me to even keep up with this. So it does take true effort. Um, but I will say that the information is, it's definitely out there. It's just taking the time to really read uh, the information that's out there and look at different sources, right? So for for me, for example, I, I, I personally, I don't seek information to see where I'm right. Uh, I seek information to see the truth or where I'm actually maybe wrong. Where are my blind spots? What does this ultimately mean? And so actually what I've found <laughs> in, in doing this or that approach is like how wrong I am about things <laughs> that I was perceived, you know, I perceived them to be, well, this is certain and well, wow, that's definitely not the case. And so I end up, I'll just say it this way. There's several trails I'm, I'm kind of marching down right now, but I would say it, it takes an open mind um, and really being willing to to take the time and seek out information that may not, not just be so obvious, but it it is really tough. You have to want to truly understand. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple more questions, but before I get to those, I feel like we should pause and have a check-in because I'm curious, how did you do with the do not say list? 
<laughs> I did really, I did really well. Actually, I didn't say anything on this list. Um, okay. But my goodness, this list, I, I don't know if I should set it on fire or just the paper shredder will do just fine. But uh, no, I did really well. Didn't say any of it. Excellent. So Uh, so we always end the Sourcing Hero podcast conversations by talking about heroism. You know, it's it's interesting. Sometimes when I prep people for these conversations, I tell them it's sort of like a podcast Rorschach test, right? It's Mm. a way to get a little bit of a feeling from people. But you've answered the question about heroism. So you and I always look for twists. Mm -hmm. And given what we've talked about today, here's my twist for you on the typical heroism question. I would like to know, Chris, if you could have any superpower, and it doesn't matter how realistic it is, if you want to be able to like blink and make pies appear, it can be (laughs) any superpower you want, but one that you think would help all of us deal with today's challenging business conditions, what would it be? Um, so I'd, I'd freeze time. Um, I think that what we all need, uh, not, I think everybody needs just a little break, I think. So to be able to freeze time and just let things be for a second would be, would be excellent. But similar to what we were just talking about, things are moving at such a rapid pace. Uh, it's so fact and fast. <laughs> I would, I would argue Kelly, I think a lot of people are actually checking out, like not even looking at the, not looking at the headlines, not really focused on really what's going on. And I think that while that's maybe the theme or what's going on, I think there's still some very big sweeping changes that are taking place. And they may take some companies, individuals, families, they may take them completely out. Um, so I would say, you know, in order for people to be able to catch up to what's going on, um, to have some just mental health and some peace, I would, I would freeze time. And I think doing that would allow people to, I'll say, catch up, wake up. Um, calm down. I, I think yeah. time is the most precious thing we all have, especially right now. So the ability to freeze that, I would say that'd be pretty darn awesome superpower. I think I think you're you're spot on. And I didn't know what your superpower was going to be, but the yeah. second you said it, I thought to myself, well, I thought first of all, that's far more useful than making pies appear. And well, then I thought to myself, <laughs> you know what? That's absolutely right because in that moment of pause everybody could just breathe, yeah. right? Let's mm-hmm. let everything cool off. Let's focus on facts. Let's step away from the emotion because personally and professionally, the more grounded we are in reality versus names, intent versus outcomes, mm-hmm. the better positioned we all are. And I think truthfully, we'll feel better for it. Yep, absolutely. Now, Chris, I always enjoy you coming in for these conversations. And in fact, we're really hitting our stride. I, I enjoy every one of these monthly discussions more. But for people that are finding us for the first time, or maybe who haven't met you and heard your thoughts in the past, what would you say is the best way for listeners to connect with you and get in touch? Yeah. Well, first thing, if this is somebody's first time listening, I would encourage them to go back and maybe look at some of our other discussions where we could speak a, a tad bit more more freely. Uh, but as far as getting in touch you know, with me directly, LinkedIn is always great. Um, so I'm just Chris with a K, Chris Lance on LinkedIn. Or also you can email me, uh, Chris, K-R-I-S at una.com. Um, it's another way to get in touch with me. Or if you visit our website at una.com and you go to About Us, you should see I think I have a page out there um, that you should be able to click through and, and get in touch with me. 
Excellent, Chris. Thank you so much. And rather than saying bye, I will say see you again next month. Sounds good. See you soon, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.